Welcome to the Anthony Bradley Show, where we engage in insightful conversations with extraordinary individuals who are, in fact, making a difference in their communities. In today's episode, we have the privilege of hosting a remarkable guest, Jackson Haber, the 2023 president of the Alpha Epsilon Pi fraternity at Auburn University. This is the Theta chapter. A Pi, commonly known as A Pi Theta on the campus of Auburn, is a fraternity that embodies the ideals of personal growth and community development. Their mission is clear, to ensure that every brother graduates as a stronger person in mind and body. Equipped with the potential for future development in every aspect of life they may encounter, A.E. Pi Theta values such things as a strong work ethic, selflessness, and teamwork that are, in fact, deeply cherished. Through their dedication to these principles, they create an environment that fosters personal growth and cultivates lifelong friendships. Tune in as we explore Jackson's journey, his vision for A.E. Pi Theta, and the impact they are having on their campus at Auburn University. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Anthony Bradley Show, where we are exploring the importance of fraternity life, leadership, and the transformative power of brotherhood. Thanks again, everybody, for joining me on the Anthony Bradley Show. I'm excited again to be talking to another fantastic fraternity chapter. This time, we'll be on the campus of Auburn University, and I have the president of AEPI for today's discussion. His name is Jackson, and we're going to have a conversation about his fraternity chapter and Greek life at Auburn. Jackson, thanks for joining us on the Anthony Bradley Show. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I want to make sure I got your your last name pronounced correctly. Is it Haber? Yep, you got it. So Jackson Haber, the president of A.E. Pi, have you ever had your name mispronounced by a professor in class? Sometimes, but they'll say Aber or Haber. Most of the time they get it, though. Okay, fantastic. So you are a student at Auburn University. Where, where are you from? I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. And, and what are you studying there at Auburn? So I'm in uh, mechanical engineering. I'm in my senior year, and then I'm also in Naval ROTC. Oh, fantastic. And so what are you planning to do after you graduate? It's kind of like a stressful time right now because we find out our service selection in, I think, less than a month. I put surface warfare nuclear as my first option, which what that means is if I get selected for it, my first tour would be on a ship as a normal division officer. And then after that tour, once I get my SWO pin, I would go to power school in Charleston, South Carolina, and basically get certified to work in the nuclear department on an aircraft carrier for my second tour. So ideally, that would be the string of events that would follow graduation. Now, you're from New Orleans, you said, right? Yes, sir. And born and raised in the state of Louisiana. No, actually. I was, um, so I was in New Orleans all of high school. I was actually born in Youngstown, Ohio lived there for a year, and then moved to Jackson, Mississippi for the next 13 years of my life. And then after that, moved to New Orleans. So you were born in Ohio. So there would be mm -hmm. some connection to the Ohio State University, blah, blah. And then <laughs> you have real connections in the state of Mississippi, which could have drawn you to Ole Miss or Mississippi State even. Mm -hmm. And then you spend some important years in the state of Louisiana. A lot of students in that area end up at LSU. And you didn't go to any yep. of those schools. You chose Auburn. Why? Why did why is it that you, I mean, how did that happen? Yeah, it's actually it's a pretty cool story. I went to Isidore Newman High School, right in the heart of Uptown, New Orleans. It's where all the Mannings went. Odell Beckham Jr. went there. Michael Lewis, the author of Moneyball, went there. Really good private school. We were fortunate enough to go on a trip to Washington, DC like our big ninth grade trip. That's a tradition they've done for decades. And we took the trip to DC and at the time had really no big interest in the military, let alone the Navy. But one of the things they do is they tour the Naval Academy. And we toured the Naval Academy and all of a sudden I felt this like big calling 
And I was like, you know what? Maybe this is like what I should do. So for the next three years, I worked really hard, um, keeping my grades up, working on my ACT scores and what have you to put myself in a position to get accepted to the academy. It's a very long application process. I got very close. I got two congressional nominations, but in the end, the Naval Academy said no. And as a backup, I applied to schools that had good engineering programs and good Naval ROTC programs. I applied to, I think it was Georgia Tech was one of the other ones. They said no, fine. So it came down to Auburn and LSU. Those are the last two I applied to. I've gotten to both of those schools. And I actually was really close to choosing LSU. I, I think a large part of that was because they had just won the national championship. There was a whole lot of hype around them. You know, I mean, I'm a big LSU fan despite going to Auburn. The thing that really made me choose Auburn was, I think the biggest thing was the campus. The campus here is beautiful and it's a lot smaller, bit of a smaller undergraduate student population. And just that was the biggest thing, just how beautiful it is here. And also, as far as engineering and naval ROTC goes, both of those are just a little bit ahead of where LSU is. So that's kind of what drew me to Auburn in the end. And I have no regrets, never thought about reapplying to the academy, nothing at all. I will be honest, as a as a Clemson alum, it just mm-hmm. hurts my heart that you chose the wrong the wrong tiger school to attend. <laughs> and had you gone to Clemson University to visit our illustrious and gorgeous campus, you might have made a different decision. If you've ever been on the campus of Clemson, there's a rumor in the Southeast, I don't know if you know this rumor, that basically Clemson and Auburn were started by the same people. And that Clemson that is, rumor. yeah, and yep. that basically Clemson is Auburn with a lake. Right. The The architecture is is actually not, not that different. So, but you made the right choice. I'll be honest. I applied to Auburn out of high school as well. I grew up in Atlanta, applied to Auburn, got accepted in the Auburn first. And the only reason I did not go to Auburn at the time is that they were on the quarter system and I wanted to be on the semester system and Clemson was on the semester system. So I went there. I actually had no clue that Auburn used to be on the quarter system. That's, it's really interesting. Yeah. So I, I had, I had no, no idea, but I was, I was headed there first because they were both Clemson and Auburn are both the same distance from my parents' house in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were in high school, were you thinking about joining a fraternity? Was that on the radar? Like, hey, when I go to college, I want to make sure I'm in a fraternity. When, when did the openness to fraternity enter the, the picture for you? So that's another long-ish story. I had zero intention of joining a fraternity in high school. You could ask anyone I went to high school with, they would have probably said I was the furthest person that they would even think of associating with a fraternity. I was on the speech and debate team, I was very active in theater and our choir and just the arts in general. And I don't think it ever even entered my mind, like the possibility of like, hey, maybe, you know, I'm going to Auburn, maybe I should join a fraternity. And to kind of piggyback on that, when I joined Auburn my freshman year, not that this is a bad thing, but I was very focused on school and ROTC. And that was it. The first semester I was in Auburn, to be honest, like, I didn't have a whole lot of personal growth because I was just so focused on those two things. And that was my life, just school and ROTC. If I wasn't doing one of those things, I was probably studying or doing something else ROTC related. So there was really no interest in the beginning. Would you say when you're in high school and you heard the word fraternity, you thought about fraternities, was there something that might have turned you off to the idea? Probably just the, I don't know about turn me off to the idea. I think that maybe just, and I'm, you know, I know that we're kind of going to get into the weeds of all this, but just the negative stereotypes that you typically hear about a fraternity and what have you might've been somewhat of a turnoff if I'm being honest. But obviously that was before a time where I you know really understood what a fraternity is about. Not being in college, being in high school, it's really hard to understand from an outsider's perspective, what that is about. So you're the president of your chapter now. And as you mm-hmm. said, and we'll talk more about this in just a moment, there are these negative stereotypes and you've experienced it in a completely different way. I get a lot of parents that listen to this podcast and these conversations with me and fraternity presidents. And I'm wondering if you could just 
frame the best way you can why you think fraternities can be good things. Like what's what's good about a fraternity? Like when you talk about it at at Rush and during the pledge season, what what kind of things do you tell people that make fraternities great places instead of places as a stereotype mm-hmm. that turn guys into tools, right? That there well, is this I, idea that you might be a regular guy and you join a fraternity, you'll become a terrible person and that fraternities aren't good. So how would you speak about fraternities in a way that might reference the fact that they can be a value add to a man's life? So I think to address that question, it's important to kind of back up and think about why fraternities do get this bad rap. And I think I truly believe this. I think it's because fraternities are an easy scapegoat. And the reason I say that is because when you look at a college campus, vast majority of the crimes or the druggings or sexual assaults that you might hear of, they're actually not fraternity related at all. At Auburn, for example, we actually, I mean, there's a big, there is a big issue with that stuff, but not related to fraternities. It actually has to do with downtown and the bars and what have you, but people like to automatically associate what happens down there with fraternities. It's just an easy, like I said, scapegoat. And I don't think that's just unique to Auburn. I think that's unique to everywhere. With that being said, yes, there's going to be bad people wherever you go in life. And although I'd like to say that all fraternities, there's not a single bad brother in any fraternity in the world, the unfortunate reality is there are going to be people who you might have thought were good brothers and they turn out not to be the good person you thought they were. And that's when it's up to leaders to hold people responsible and accountable for their actions and to learn from mistakes and move forward to ensure a safe community. But to answer the original question, I think there's kind of two parts. So I think fraternities in general, what's good about them, I think without a doubt are the personal connections and friendships that you make with your brothers. I think that goes for any fraternity. And when you look at any fraternity's core values and their moral compasses and whatnot, it's all about brotherhood and the personal connections that you make with your brothers, which is absolutely such an important thing during one's college career. And as far as Auburn AE Pi goes, I would stress that on top of that, it's about turning college students into leaders in their respective communities. And we have a long track record of alumni who have gone out and done just that. And that's something that as a president, I've been trying to continue and look forward to continuing here and beyond. Yeah. And so I I think you're exactly right. The data, I mean, I've I've written a book on, on why mm-hmm. fraternities are great things. And the brotherhood aspect is is most certainly the case. And you're exactly right about some of the issues with the negative stereotypes. What we find is that, as Chad Frick said at Clemson University, fraternities don't make men terrible. Terrible men join fraternities, right? I'm paraphrasing yep. what he said. Mm-hmm. So basically what happens is there's guys who are complete tools. And they know they get better access to opportunities to be horrible people by joining a fraternity. The fraternity doesn't make them that way. They were already like that. Mm -hmm. And in the South, I'm from Atlanta, people are Mm -hmm. very good at being completely two-faced and duplicitous, right? It's like a skill in the South that you don't have in the Northeast. In the Northeast, you just are who you are. But in the South, you learn how to, on Sunday, be one person. And then on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night, you're a completely different kind of human and your grandparents and parents Mm -hmm. have no idea, right? And so you know how to fake your way through pledging and rushing, and then you become rushing and pledging. And then Mm -hmm. you show your true colors later. And then the fraternity has responsibility to deal with the terribleness that snuck in, right? Right. Because fraternities don't want, they don't want terrible people because terrible people will get you suspended. Correct. Yep, exactly. I mean, right. They're risky. So you do not want them. So this idea that fraternities are wide open to these horrible guys coming in is not true because their chapters, right, their charter, their ability Mm -hmm. to function on campus is dependent on them not letting the wrong guy in. Totally agree. Is that fair? Yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, it's like what I said. 
it's the job of the rush chair and the executive board to find guys who they want to bid, who they think are good people. And there's a process for all that. No fraternity is just open to all. If they were, then every fraternity would be suspended. It's just right. But with that being said, it's exactly what you said. There are people who can fake a persona or maybe they were the good person we thought they were. And then over time, they change into somebody who they weren't initially. So that happens too. And I don't think that's a product of the fraternity. I think that's just a product of whatever's going on in that person's life, because that's the last thing anybody wants is a fraternity or a chapter president. Absolutely. And we also see that when people start drinking, Mm -hmm. they become a different person. Or actually, you might say they become their real self, right? The Mm -hmm. person that they're not hiding and pushing down. The alcohol is like true serum. You kind of see who the real person is. If a guy who is legally of age drinking and he is still an awesome person, that's depth. I mean, the guy is genuinely a great, a great person. If he starts Mm -hmm. drinking and he becomes a different human, the person that you're seeing is the real him. It's really unfortunate that you guys, as exec team members, as upperclassmen, have the burden of trying to test that out and screen that out and and see what comes up during the rush and the pledging process. So you're the president of of AEPI. Can you tell us what AEPI stands for for the listeners? Sure. Alpha Epsilon Pi. And when you were a freshman or a sophomore and you were doing doing the, the rush process, what was it about mm-hmm. your experience with AEPI as you, I mean, did you, did you rush a lot of chapters? Did you go by and visit houses or did you only, only look at, at AEPI? So like I was saying earlier, my first semester really hardly did anything at all. I never even went near downtown. I probably went to two house parties and that, that was the extent of having fun my freshman year. And what kind of started to change that was first off a little background, I'm Jewish and AEPI, as probably a lot, a lot of listeners know or may not know, is a Jewish values-based fraternity. My first semester, one of the things that was really hard was finding a Jewish community in Auburn. That's not because that there isn't a Jewish community. There is. There's actually a very strong one, which I'm about to get into. I wasn't taking the right steps to reach out and try to find that community. I think I kind of just expected it to dawn upon me. I was so focused on what I was doing. I never really thought about, hey, maybe I should try to find other people like me. And towards the end of my first semester, I went to my first Hillel event. And for listeners who don't know, Hillel is a national collegiate Jewish organization. They have different chapters on different campuses, somewhat similar to Chabad, although that's a little different. We don't have one of those. So anyways, I went to my first Hillel event. It was a Hanukkah like campfire. I think it was like late in November. So close to finals time, it was like the last event of the year. And I was there and I met a bunch of other Jewish people for the first time when I was in Auburn. I was like, man, why am I not doing this more? Like, I don't feel so lost anymore. Over winter break, I kind of made it like a New Year's resolution. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to more Hillel events. And for context at the time, I had kind of known that there was a Jewish fraternity on campus. At the time, I could not have told you what they were even called. I had heard that there was one, still had no interest in rushing a fraternity at that point in my life. Anyways, fast forward to second semester of my freshman year. I went to the kickoff event for spring semester from Hillel. And that's when I started to meet some of the other AEPI brothers. And kind of what happened was, you know, I was meeting them, talking to them. Didn't really know if they were in AEPI or not. Maybe someone said something. I don't know. Still wasn't interested in joining a fraternity. I was just there to be with other Jews. And right as I was about to leave, one of our brothers who graduated, Adam Linhard, he was like, hey, what are you doing on Tuesday night? Just like spontaneously. I was like, nothing, you know? And he was like, come bowling with me. He was like, come bowl with me, me and some of my friends. I was like, okay. So I showed up to the bowling alley. He, he picked me up, took me there. And there's some people from Hillel that I recognized. And there are a bunch of other guys as well. And I didn't know it at the, at the time, but they were like throwing a rush event. And I started meeting some of the AEPI brothers, et cetera. I started meeting some other people who they were also rushing, who actually ended up pledging with me. And I was like, man, this is like a really good group of guys. Like, 
Most of them are Jewish. They reminded me a lot of myself and who I am as a person. Over the next couple of weeks, I started going to more events and what have you. And probably before the fourth event that I went to, I actually had a dream. And I remember this vividly. I had a dream that I was calling my mom and I was telling her, hey, I think I'm interested in like maybe joining the Jewish fraternity. Now at the time, I had no clue how bids worked. I had no clue how pledge ship worked. I was just like, this sounds like a cool thing to be a part of. And I remember in the dream, my mom was like, that's fine. Just make sure you're focused on school as well. The next day, we were having um, another rush event and was having a great time. And Adam, the person who initially rushed me, he was like, hey, come upstairs for a second. I was like, okay. And I like go upstairs and the chapter president is up there and hands me a slip of paper. And he's like, this is for you. And it's a bid. And I was like, a little, not hesitant. I was just like, I think I literally asked, could you explain what a bid is? Like, <laughs> he was like, well, if you sign it, then that's just an agreement that you don't talk to other fees and that you'll start pledge up in a couple of weeks. And I kind of just instinctively just signed the line of paper. And that was that. I, I had a great time the rest of the night. And ironically, when I called my mom the next day and told her what happened, she gave me the same response that I had in my dream, which was, that's great. Just make sure you're still focused on school. So it was a, came full circle. So but, your parents your parents didn't have any reservations about you being in Greek life? No. I think maybe the first semester, if I said I was trying to join a fraternity, maybe they would have been a little more hesitant. But I think they knew after half a year being in college that it was probably time for me to really start branching out. And I was just fortunate enough that AEPI was doing spring pledgeships, spring rush, and I kind of just happened to be in the right places at the right time and really just kind of worked out. But, yeah. So you you mentioned that when you were around these guys that they kind of reminded you a lot about yourself. There's some of the values that mm -hmm. you really embraced personally that you saw in them. Is there anything in particular that comes to mind about what those guys were like that made you think, Wow, these are the kind of guys I want to I want to be be around. Were there any any attributes or characteristics or virtues that you thought, yep, this is good for me? The first thing that immediately comes to mind is that, and this is still the case, like over half our fraternity, they're engineering majors. And if you look at any other chapter on campus, I I, I don't think you'd find a chapter where over half the brothers are engineering majors. Not to discredit any other chapter, that's just something that's unique to us and I think is really great about us. And I was like, wow, so these are guys who are engineering majors, but they're still like finding a balance between going out and school, all this stuff that I thought was impossible to do. So that's probably the first thing. And then the second thing too, they were just fun people to be around. They just, they would talk to you. They would ask you questions about yourself. I always, you know, I felt so lost my first semester. I never had anybody maybe aside from a couple of friends that I had at the time, I never really had a close connection with anyone. And then out of nowhere, they're asking me all about me and my life and trying to find out more about me. And in turn, you know, I was asking about them and that just made me feel really at home. So that's probably the best way to put it. Some people don't realize, and this is something that for some reason people just maybe don't assume about, about guys, about men, it's like men mm -hmm. want to be known. They want to have close friendships. They mm -hmm. want people to care about them. And fraternities do just that. For a lot of guys, it's the only community on campus where they get that. I mean, if you're an independent, unless you're maybe in ROTC or maybe you play sports, there really isn't another organization on campus where the culture of the campus is to care about you. And to be looking out for you and to have a group of guys that has your back no matter what. They care about you. They're interested in you and vice versa, right? Yeah. So so these are some of the things that I tell parents, like, listen, you want your son in the fraternity because he needs a group of guys who are looking out for his for his best interests. And at, at Auburn, there's lots of fraternities. I think there it's in the 20s there. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, well, what sorts of things do you tell guys during rush that sets ai apart other than the fact that there's a lot of stem sim guys in there is, is there anything else that makes makes you guys a bit distinctive 
So uh, the the first and probably the most obvious, if the Rashi that we're talking to is Jewish, that's the first thing that we come out with is we're a non-religious Jewish values-based fraternity. And oftentimes you're talking to a Rashi who we kind of do our work in the background. So we usually know ahead of time if they're Jewish or not, but you can almost sometimes see the kind of like sigh of relief when you say that people that may not be familiar with AEPI, you're like, we're full of Jews. And Similar feeling to what I had, just kind of being lost. And then you're like, so there is a community here for me. And then for someone who's not Jewish, and our chapter is, um, we have a variety of different religious and ethnic backgrounds. We're not exclusive to Jewish people. We have Christians, we have Buddhists, and the list goes on and on. Talking to someone who is not Jewish, right? I think the first thing we'd probably say that separates us from other fraternities is that we have a very strong brotherhood. And the reason I say that is because our chapter is relatively small. We only have about 20 brothers, but because of that, I'm best friends with everybody in my chapter. There's not a single person in my chapter who I would not die for if that case ever comes. Other fraternities in Auburn who, I'll preface this, I'm close with pretty much all the IFC presidents here at Auburn. They all have amazing chapters. And there's some that are small like us, but some of the bigger fraternities, you'll go through a pledge class and you don't even know the names of all your pledge brothers. I mean, it's just, it's very expansive. So that's probably what really separates us is aside from being Jewish values-based, we also have a very tight-knit brotherhood where we're still able to do big things like other big fraternities. We still have retreats, we still have formals, tailgates, parties, et cetera, but it's just a lot more fun to do that stuff, like a close, tight-knit group of people. It's a group of guys who, who because of the size, actually get to know each other. And we're mm-hmm. not throwing shade on those larger fraternities, of course, but it's different. When your pledge class is 70 guys or 80 guys, you know, sometimes yep. on Instagram, I'll see introducing, right, the sort of fall pledge class of like 83. And I'm like, wow, that's a challenge to manage. I wonder what the relationships are like in terms of depth. I think probably what it is is they're clustered mm-hmm. within that within that pledge class that are that are really close. You just can't get to know anybody. It's just it's just a different it's just a different culture, mm-hmm. just a different experience. It's a great experience, but it's it's just a little different. I was really struck by the the AEPI pledge. I want to get your thoughts on the pledge. And I'm imagining mm-hmm. This is something that you invite guys to think about deeply as they're pledging the fraternity. I want to read this first one here and get get some of your thoughts here, because I think these are absolutely fantastic. This is the first one. I understand that as a brother or new member of Alpha Epsilon Phi, I will take seriously my responsibility to safeguard all brothers, guests, neighbors, and others in the community. If a pledge reads this, hears this from you all, what what should he expect to see in terms of how you all live live this out? I mean, what what does it look like to take seriously the responsibility to safeguard all the brothers and guests and neighbors and everybody else in in the community? So the first thing, the first kind of like tangible thing that comes to mind is that I'll ride or die this. I think that we're probably the most welcoming and kind of safe environment for anyone to enter. Doesn't matter the location that we're in, doesn't matter the event that we're having. I take pride in the fact that everyone feels extremely safe with our brotherhood. And I think a good example of that, a couple of years ago, there was my fall semester of sophomore year. So I think two years ago, exactly. There were a lot of protests happening because of a lot of uh, druggings that had been happening downtown. And I think at the time, a there was a fraternity, not us, another fraternity who was under investigation. First time, I forgot entirely what it was, but it caused just a lot of panic in the student body. There was just so much negativity going around the campus with Greek life, with just downtown and that that whole sort of thing. And we posted, I don't know uh, any other fraternity that did this, but we posted on our Instagram this whole thing about, it was a, a document and it was just like, from the brothers of AEPI Theta, we just want to make sure everyone knows that everyone is safe with us. Everyone is welcome. Doesn't matter your background, your sexuality, etc. And we 
we're open to all, all guests of any kind. And we want to make sure that you feel safe. And it's our responsibility to do that. And we put that out there and we got so much positive response from people that we didn't even know. Just the Instagram comments and then even like more people start showing up to stuff and just, I mean, they would come up to, I wasn't on the e-board at the time, but they would come up to like our chapter president, vice president, and just say, hey, we really appreciate what y'all are doing, especially in this in this time. So that's just something I take pride in, the fact that we really preface a safe environment for everybody. And that goes for any AEPI chapter. I'm very close. One of my best friends is the Alabama AEPI president. You, he would give you the same exact response. He would be like, our biggest thing is safety and making sure our guests and brothers alike are welcome and feel safe wherever we are. It's a great opportunity for the e-board, which is the executive board of, of a chapter, mm-hmm. to create a culture. I mean, one, one of the things that I highlight in the book, Heroic Fraternities, is is the invitation for every chapter on every campus to do whatever they can to have this one reputation that our chapter is the safest place for women on campus, period. And for that to be something that is well-known, it's so well-known that high school kids talk about it. If you go to Auburn, the safest place for women on the campus would be, for example, the brothers of, of AAPI. In fact, it's so safe, I tell chapters, that guys who mistreat women should shudder at the thought of what would happen if an AEPI brother found out that they did something to dishonor Mm -hmm. a woman and that guy who did something dishonorable would be given a choice. Choice A would be to call the campus police Choice B would be to call a brother in AEI, and he says, no, 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 call the police. Because when those guys from AEPI show up, I don't want what they're going to do to me. I don't want to experience that. I would rather have the police (laughs) safely, safely put me in the back of a car and whisk me away to jail than deal with the brothers in the fraternity because they honor women with such dignity and respect. That, I think, alone, I mean, imagine. Imagine if that was the reputation of fraternities, right? That every chapter on a campus was a place that was well known to be the safest place uh, for women on campus. And as an exec, mm-hmm. as an executive board, you have an opportunity to form a brand new reputation and to dispel some of those stereotypes. I'm really excited and encouraged to hear that that's what you guys are doing. A lot of fraternities across the country, I won't name any schools in the Southwest, just trust me, they can't say that. I'm following about mm-hmm. 2,500 fraternities on Instagram, and I see their posts, and I'm like, that's not a safe place for women. So kudos, kudos to you all and, and your chapter for having that as a, as a reputation and, and a brand. Here's the second pledge, which again, I think is awesome. Oh, by the way, by the way, I teach theology and Mm -hmm. religious studies. And I can tell you right now that first pledge is extremely Jewish. You can find that in the Torah in particular. It's right out Mm -hmm. of, it's it's right out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It's it's really an awesome, an awesome pledge. Here's the second one. I will not participate nor condone dangerous or illegal activities. Just as importantly, if I see somebody in distress, I will do my best to help or contact the proper authorities to ensure that the situation is properly resolved. So here is a pledge that you're making, one, to not participate in dangerous or illegal activity, but secondly, so you're not going to turn a blind eye to someone who's in distress and, and you guys will offer help. A pledge hears this, someone at Rush hears this, are they to think, well, yeah, but does that actually happen? What would you, how would you respond to that? So I think that that's a really good question. And I really do love that specific pledge. And this is where I'm going to give a lot of credit to the IFC board at Auburn University. The biggest thing that we stress is calling 911. If something is going wrong, doesn't matter where you are, whether it's fraternity related or not, but in the context of this related. It never hurts to call 911. And 
I'm not entirely sure if it's different at other universities, but here at Auburn, we exercise something called medical amnesty, where if you call 911, if someone's in distress, if someone is in a uh, compromising situation, if someone is hurt, if just someone needs help, period, if you call 911, and let's say, hypothetically, you're someone who's underage drinking, you have a friend who might be over 21, might be under and they're heavily intoxicated and you think they need to go to the hospital and you call 911, medical amnesty basically waives you from any criminal charges that might be pressed against you if you're underage and you're drinking. And that's something that we really try to teach to our pledges and also current brothers is that if you're in a situation, you don't have to let anybody know. The first thing you should do is call 911 if you think that's appropriate. Do not worry about self. You're going to be covered. I mean, the university flat out, that's what they say. Unfortunately, the reason that the IFC had to institute that framework is that, you know, we've seen over the last 15, 20 years, guys dying during Mm -hmm. the pledge process. And sadly, one of the reasons is that nobody wanted to get in trouble. So they didn't call 911 and and the young man was really in, in some physical distress and Sadly, sadly died because no one got him help. I'm wondering within the chapter itself, you mm-hmm. mentioned accountability. You mentioned that word a few minutes ago. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering just within the chapter itself, what do you all do as a brotherhood to not encourage each other to do sort of dangerous? When I, mm-hmm. when I say dangerous, I don't mean like cliff jumping, right? I mean like stupid kind of dangerous where you can die. Mm-hmm. Because I think there is some aspect of of developing into a man where you have you need to face danger so you can grow, right? It's kind yep. of a necessary part of becoming a man is facing some danger. I'm not saying that you should go in the woods and wrestle a bear. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but you need to face some adversity and, and some challenge and some risk in order to grow as as a man. I'm, I'm wondering for your chapter and your brotherhood, how do you all inspire people, inspire each other? To sort of do the do the right thing. So, I mean, I think it boils down to just being educated on what's going on. And actually, your question is perfect timing. On Sunday, um, at our chapter meeting, we had a Title IX representative from Auburn come in. It was completely voluntary, and he gave us a whole talk on just different range of topics, from stalking to sexual assault to sexual harassment, and the do's and the don'ts that might seem obvious to some might not seem so obvious to others. And the biggest thing is just spreading awareness, right? So that's an example of that. We have had other chapter briefs where maybe brothers get up and talk about, hey, like if you're at a party, right? Or if you're at a tailgate, whatever, you're representing AEPI. That means you're not going to make someone else drink against, there's just not someone to do. You're not going to be drugging people. Those are, we have a zero tolerance policy with those things. I'll stand by this. If we ever, luckily, we've really never had this situation, but we find out like a brother drug somebody, they will be removed faster than lightning. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And we make sure our brothers know that. It's not like we have to tell our brothers this because I feel like someone's going to do it. No, I think our chapter is full of good people, but still important to know the expectations, especially because when you're welcoming in guests, you might not know all the guests that are whatever at you know at whatever event that you're throwing, right? So you need to be aware of the situation. If you see something, you need to say something and also act on it. One of the things that happens at a lot of fraternity parties is that there's some tools that show up at your party, right? And mm-hmm. here's what's here's what's so so sickening and disgusting. It really makes me angry. The independent guy is the one at your party drugging, but then you you all get the blame. Right. Oh, it's one of those APIs. No, it wasn't one of us. It was this guy that we brought that we allowed as a guest to come in our mm-hmm. party because he needs some sort of social community because he doesn't have one. Right. Right. So so we mm-hmm. let him into our party and then he acts like an idiot and does something mm-hmm. really dumb and jeopardizes our chapter. The third pledge, we kind of talked about this with the first one you, you mentioned, you mentioned safety, but the, the, the third place say this, I agree. There's nothing more important than ensuring the safety of my brothers, my community, and I'll do my best to ensure they are safe and, and properly cared for. So on the, on the one side, there is the sort of 
information about safety at parties and and safety mm-hmm. w- with respect to the things that we typically associate with college. I'm wondering what's it look like for you all to keep each other safe in terms of your mental health, to keep each other safe in terms of some of those other things that aren't necessarily about the party life. How, how are you guys caring for each other within, within the chapter? Any, so, anything come to mind? That's a really important question that doesn't get asked enough. And I think this is a national issue. And I also think it's a big issue at Auburn University. But that is, whatever reason, there's a high number of, there's a high suicide rate among men in fraternities. A lot of people can't really explain why. I think the answer might be a little more simple than what we think it to be. I think straight up, a lot of people don't associate men with having issues with mental health. I think men struggle way more with mental health than we realize. I've had very dark places in my life, been in very dark places in my life where it was AEPI and my brothers who helped lift me out of that dark spot. And that all comes down to being your brother's keeper. And that's a phrase that AEPI instituted. We take that to heart. You have to be your brother's keeper. So that just means if you think something's going on with a brother, if they're not quite acting right, if they're seeming a little more down than usual, we make it very clear. You, you need to ask what's going on. Don't be like confrontational about it. Don't be patronizing, but be your brother's keeper. Be a good brother. And even more importantly, be a good friend, right? So I think that's what it kind of comes down to as far as like mental health and kind of that sort of stigma that like men don't have feelings, right? We have feelings just as good, if not, you know, just as strong as anyone else. It can just sometimes, especially with men and fraternities, I think people sometimes think that they don't really have feelings and all they like to do is party hard and whatnot. And it goes way deeper than that. One of the things that I mentioned in the book that I wrote here, Work Fraternities, right, right in the beginning of the book, is that a lot of guys, just like everybody else in the culture, is struggling with depression mm. and anxiety. A lot of guys had a lot of stuff happen to them in high school or, or earlier. Right, they're victims of abuse or neglect. A lot of a lot of guys, their parents are getting divorced when they're in college, right? Or they got divorced in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain, and a lot of guys. What a lot of guys do at fraternities is they drink their pain away. Mm-hmm. Right? They use alcohol or even sex to sort of numb their pain. And I think brothers have an opportunity to to provide a safe space for guys to kind of emote and talk about what's going on. And a lot of guys don't have those mm-hmm. friendships, right? They don't have the the space where they can do that at three o'clock in the morning. And, and the fact that you guys are intentionally being each other's keepers, using the word brother, using the word friend, saying, hey, I'm here for you no matter what, right? No matter how bad mm-hmm. it is, how dark it is, to sort of provide that. I, I think the suicide problem is something that people don't realize. It actually shocked me when I started working on the book, the thing that almost had me in tears on Instagram, it was like a couple of times a month. I would see, you know, with sadness, we would like to, you know, unfortunately announce the death, the passing of our brother, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, man, a a lot of guys are Mm -hmm. in crisis and and men are struggling in this, in this country. And again, that's just not the stereotype. I mean, when people think about fraternity life, they just sort of think about the parties. They think about, all the stuff they see in some stupid, you know, Zach Efron movie, like that's what it's about. But it's a it's a mm-hmm. group of guys who are caring for each other in the good times and and the bad times. And I'm I'm wondering for your chapter in, in particular, are you guys doing anything intentional to dispel these negative stereotypes, or is it just part of how your culture is that you just aren't aren't that way, or are you are you doing things intentionally? To say, hey, your expectations about what fraternity are like that you get in the news, that you get in the media, like that's that's mm-hmm. not what our chapter is is about. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think first, it absolutely just in its core, that's who we all are. Again, I take pride in the fact that we are a very safe, welcoming environment for everybody. And I think on the other end as well, you know, when I joined AEPI, we weren't super active on social media here at Auburn. And that's something during my time, I was vice president before becoming president. 
been president for over six months now, probably well, probably close to eight or nine at this point. And during that time, like I've me as well as my other board members, we've made it a point. Let's be more active on social media and let people know what we are all about, right? Let's advertise our name out there so people understand who our identity is, right? And that's helped a lot. That's helped dispel some of those negative stereotypes that people might hear as far as fraternities go. We have people that come to our stuff who never thought they'd be coming to something that's like sponsored by a fraternity or related to a fraternity. And they ended up having the best time. They never thought they would, but it's because we're such a welcoming, open environment. And now we're finally putting that message out there, which has been uniquely beneficial, not just to our chapter, but other chapters alike, as well as just IFC here at Auburn. So you're the president of the chapter and you are building a legacy and building a reputation there on campus at at Auburn. I'm wondering when people hear AEPI at Auburn now, Mm -hmm. as as president, what, what kind of things do you want them to reflect on and think about like, what, what do you want to pop up when they hear, oh yeah, that guy over there, he, he's an AEPI. What do you, what do you want them to associate being in, in your chapter with there on the campus of Auburn? Two words, good people, just straight up good people, a good group of brothers who are as nice as could be, know how to have a fun time, but also know how to keep others safe. What kind of legacy do you want to leave when you're 30 years old and you're living somewhere probably you know uh mm-hmm. you might you might at that point be a a pretty advanced officer in the navy if if you, if you stay in who knows you might be on an aircraft carrier on a submarine near dubai or something and you're watching <laughs> it right you're, you're watching an, an auburn game on television and someone mentions fraternities and they think and you hear a pie what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind that you want these guys to take with them for years and years to come based on the sorts of goals and aspirations that you have for the chapter this year? I think it kind of loops around to the beginning of the interview when I said that we have a track record of turning college boys into men who can become leaders in their respective communities. And that's something that I take a lot of pride in here at the Theta chapter of Alpha Epsilon Pi. And I know just any other chapter in the country associated with AEPI, that's that's their biggest thing is creating men who can lead their respective communities, whether that's the Jewish community, whether that's community that they're a part of in their work life, their personal life, et cetera. We just want to create good people and good leaders. And that's probably the legacy that I'm really trying to leave behind. For us, this is prevalent in pledgeship as well. It's not about hazing or anything like that. It's about character growth. And showing these people, hey, this is what you're going to be a part of. You're going to be part of a good network of brothers who care about each other. And most importantly, we're pushing each other to become the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And that's 100% why anybody should be joining a fraternity in the first place. Yeah, you absolutely nailed it. I, I think what makes a great fraternity great is the focus on character. If you want to join a fraternity just to have a group of guys to hang out with and party with, then what's the point? I mean, the whole history of fraternities, right? Yeah, the the whole history of fraternities is a formative organization that focuses on personal development and growth. I mean, that's what the the design is, and the fact that you, as the president, are even framing your chapter that way to me has you guys stand out because most most chapters across the country, and I'm saying that because I follow them, most chapters across the country. They may say that, but they don't do that. And some of them, because I watch them on Instagram, they're actually just about the social aspect and they're not about the personal growth and the formation. I mean, you yourself noted that your freshman year in college, you didn't experience any personal growth. The personal growth came after you joined this brotherhood. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and that character development that you mentioned, I think, I think that's the that's the point of everything. Because you can't be a leader, a good leader, and not have character. Mm-hmm. You just you just can't do it. Otherwise, what we see is leaders who end up hurting people, doing stupid things, ruining their lives and their families and their career because they had no character. It's all about, to that point, integrity, too. You can't, there's something that they say in the Navy and the military, I think it's applicable to 
any aspect of life is that you can't be a good leader 99% of the time. You have to be a good leader all the time. And that's not to say that people make mistakes. I've made my fair share of mistakes plenty of times, but it's you make those mistakes. How do you correct it? How do you move forward and not make that mistake again? When you have a bunch of guys in front of you during the, the rush process, what's your what's your mm-hmm. AI pitch? What do you what do you tell them? Funny enough, so a lot of the guys that we try to rush are people who kind of like similar to me never really thought they'd be in the position to be pledging a fraternity. Now, on the flip side, we have rushed guys in the past who absolutely wanted to join a fraternity. But I'd say like overall, our base of rushies are usually people who, if they're starting with the basics, if they're not Jewish, then they're probably someone who's trying to find meaning in their college experience. And we would like, you know, we really try to stress to people that are interested in joining us that you're going to find more meaning with our chapter than anywhere else on campus. Just being such a tight knit group of brothers that really push ourselves. We all care about school a lot, but we're also going to teach you how to balance different aspects of life and to have a good time in college. Because at the end of the day, yes, college is about school and beyond, but it's also, it's just such a good time for personal growth. And I think that AEPI at Auburn really, really stresses that. I could have said that in any better. You, you're basically quoting my book without without realizing it. I mean, it's it's really. I mean, that's <laughs> that's exactly right. It absolutely should be fun. It, I, I tell chapters mm-hmm. if your chapter isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Right. So on the one hand, it should be fun, but it also should be about about personal growth and and development in a in a really tight knit community. So if you had a a microphone at halftime at an Auburn mm-hmm. game and they asked you to invite men to check you guys out. And here's the question. What kind mm-hmm. of men are you looking for? Like what what kind of men do you want to be wedging AE Pi at Auburn? Who's that who's that kind of ideal guy? Like what's he like in terms of of, of what you're looking for? So the first thing that comes to mind, and I guess I'll preface this because everyone, you know, you have that saying like nice guys finish last, which I don't think is true at all. We're looking for nice guys. We don't want to be recruiting bad people. We don't want to be recruiting jerks or bullies. That's just not who we are. That's not who we strive to be. That's not the chapter that we one day become want to become. We want to be a group of nice guys who genuinely have care for others. And that, you know, that's probably the the first thing I'd say we're looking for. Is he a nice dude? Is he a good dude? Automatically, that kind of like puts you on our list, right? Like we meet you, you're a good dude. I can't ever tell you a time we've met someone and we've we've had experiences where we meet somebody, maybe they're at a rush event, maybe we're at like an IFC rush event looking for potential new members. And straight up, if they come across as like I don't know. I'm trying not to say a bad word. Like if they if they come across as a jerk or a bully, it's just like that's just automatically a turn off. We don't even consider them. But if there's just a nice guy who's easy to talk to, asks us questions, you know, about us and we ask about them, it's just a good conversation. We feel like, you know, there's good vibes, they're a good dude. That's automatically the first thing we look for. Are they a good dude? Are they approachable? Doesn't mean you have to be super like social or anything. You know, our chapter, we have some super social like who you would maybe consider like the popular guys in high school. We also have plenty of guys in our chapter too, who are probably like the quote unquote losers of high school. I was definitely one of them. Right. But what's so nice is that our chapter just kind of like blends it all together. And all those people who are so different, they're so close at the same time. And it's really a special thing. Well, you've got extroverts in your chapter. You have introverts uh, in your chapter. Mm -hmm. If if it's a lot of STEM guys, right. It's going to be a lot of introverts. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So that's, that's oh, yeah. not, that's yeah, not surprising. Sure. And by nice, you don't mean like soft or weak, right? You basically mean kind. They're, they're, they're kind people. Mm-hmm. They're strong and kind. They know how to wield their power and their strength in a way that's actually helpful to people and doesn't, and doesn't hurt them. To that point, it's like people who come across as rude or arrogant a jerk or a bully, more often than not, they're they're not the strong ones. That's one of the reasons why we don't consider people who give us any vibes of that sort. They're not people who we think are going to become leaders one day, right? We want to get people who have potential for 
future growth and development to become respective leaders in their communities. And it all starts with being a good person, being a kind, warm-hearted person, but also knows who how to take action when the time comes if something is going wrong and someone needs their help. And someone might look at you and, and say, oh, he's he's a nice guy. But what what that really means, and this is this is basically how I'm framing this heroic fraternity project, is mm-hmm. that the guys, guys like you, Jackson, you use your your power and your strength and your presence and your creativity for the benefit of your brothers and other people. Right. So that's that's what you're using all of these attributes for, like your power and your strength. Mm-hmm is for the benefit of helping other people. It's not for the, it's not for the benefit of you advancing like selfishness or narcissism because a lot of people use their strength and the power to, to hurt people, but you're going to use your right. strength and power to help people. And listen, listen, yes, he's a, he's a nice guy, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, he's in the Navy ROTC, right? And so he's, he's, tra- he's training for a life of, of combat against enemies that includes the potential of death so it's the kind of community as as you mentioned earlier where you've got your ride or die guys right you've got your brothers mm-hmm. for whom you guys are willing to die for each other if it came to that i mean that's just how close yep you guys you guys actually are that's that's really really fantastic i i can't i can't tell you the the music that I'm hearing right now. It's it's like a box symphony, to be honest. One one last question here. When you again are 30 or 40 or 50, you know, you're you're having conversations with your son about your college years, okay? Or maybe all of your sons. Let's say you have six kids, right? You have four sons. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Dad, what was it like at Auburn? And we don't mean the football program, but like, what what was it like to be in a fraternity at, at Auburn? Like, what kinds of things do you think you're gonna tell your kids? about how good being an AAPI at Auburn was for you? Oh, best times of my life. That's probably what I'd open up with. Just all around, most fun roller coaster of my life. It's not that there were any downs in that roller coaster. It just kept going up and up and up. And it was just my entire experience at AAPI and being in a fraternity here at Auburn, but specifically AAPI, has just been nothing but fun and insightful. And that doesn't, yes, that includes like the actual, just like the fun involved. But again, just the connections that I made with my brothers, I totally believe that like, I will probably, I'll probably be in the wedding party for (laughs) most of my fraternity brothers, right? I'd I'd say if I could have like a 20, 20 guy wedding party at my wedding, it'd be all EPI, right? (laughs) Like, that's just something so special. And I just... Had just best times of my life. And you know what? They really saved me at a time when I needed that. And when I needed to find out the person who I was, joining AAPI, they've just made me the best version of myself that I could possibly be. And whenever I kind of, because we all have moments where we start to kind of stray away from maybe who we really are, they're always there to catch me and throw me right back to that person that I am. And that kind of comes back to being your brother's keeper. So. And you've had the benefit of experiencing that for a couple of years. And and Mm -hmm. as as president, you've had the opportunity to actually lead that vision and and continue it. I mean, I I can tell you, you know, by the time you graduate college, you're going to be able to look back. I can see, I can tell us right now and see that you grew. I mean, there was like substantial growth in the context of your time there at, at AAPI. And if I were your parents listening to this discussion with you, I would be incredibly proud of a man that, that you've become because in the way in which you articulated what it means for you to be in, in AAPI, what, what, what matters to you in life, your own leadership, you sound exactly like the kind of man that you said the fraternity wants to produce. Like you're it. And it's it's really extraordinary to hear it from you. And if I were your parents, I would be jumping up and down and, and giving each other high fives because they've got a great they've got a great man right here. And you're the kind of man that we need leading fraternities across across this country. And your chapter is really blessed. I mean this in the Hesed sense. I mean they're they're really, really blessed to to have you as their as their chapter 
president, I think you're doing an extraordinary job. The, the fact that you have the courage to call yourselves out like this publicly and say this is the kind of community that, that we have is is really, really extraordinary. Well done. Well done, uh, Jackson. I'm I'm really, again, thrilled and excited. Looking forward to hearing more great stories about your chapter over the years. And Jackson, I'm really thankful that you joined me today on the Anthony Bradley Show to have this conversation. Thank you so much. This has been such a good opportunity. And I was excited going into it, and I'm excited leaving this too. I mean, this was perfect. So thank you, Dr. Bradley. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being a part of this episode and joining us today on the Anthony Bradley Show. We are immensely grateful for your continued support and unwavering dedication to our incredible Patreon community. Your generosity and commitment have allowed us to bring thought-provoking discussions to the forefront. Your support enables us to amplify important voices and explore critical topics that shape our world. Thank you for being the backbone of this show. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to be a part of our community, we invite you to like, subscribe, and share The Anthony Bradley Show. Please take a moment to leave a review and share your thoughts. We value your feedback and are always striving to deliver content that resonates with you. Once again, thank you for joining us. And together, let's keep the conversation going, expanding minds, and making a positive impact in our world. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Anthony Bradley Show from Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Acton Institute and Kuiper College. Mm -hmm.